0: Before we start, I just would like to um, just express a huge um, just give huge thanks for all those who jumped in to serve the Powers family this last week as as you know, John Powers passed away last this last Wednesday about nine o'clock in the morning and um, you know when a family goes through that, I went through it just a few years ago there's lots of things they're trying to figure out obviously there's the emotional component too and then there's just a lot of things to figure out and for them to not have to think about the meal or some of the other logistical stuff was i I'm, I'm, i know just a huge relief so um if you if you made a if you made a um a dessert or a side or or, or offered to um i just uh on their behalf want to say thanks uh, in a huge way it blessed them tremendously i love that song i am no longer a slave of fear I am a child of God. And that really sums it up, doesn't it? I mean, we, we, don't, we are not slaves of fear any longer because we are now children of God. I mean, over and over in the Bible, there's this, um, this command and then a promise attached to it. And the command is just simple. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Fear not. You know, maybe the King James Version would say, fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't fear anything. And the promise is it's because I am with you. And uh, that's why we can be fearless in this world is because God is with us and because of God's love, or to connect it with the song we just sang, because in love God brought us into his family and adopted us. And, you know, um, when you're a little child, you know, your, your dad is like protector, right? He's not going to let anything happen to you. And, um, and we have a, a big and good and gracious father who loves us. So we're, we're in Ephesians 6 still. This passage is obviously well known for its um, spiritual warfare implications. Um, put on the full armor of God is this passage. The armor of God is given because there are dangers and uh, the enemy is real. He wants to destroy us. He wants to take us down and we are given armor uh, to withstand him and to stand against his schemes. One thing that is so clear in the Bible is that the Christian life is not like a peaceful afternoon nap or a calm and tranquil walk through a field of daisies, right? It's not like a relaxing day sunbathing at the beach or a day at the amusement park. The Bible describes the Christian life in a very different way. It doesn't mean we don't relax. It doesn't mean we don't rest. It doesn't mean we don't have times like this, but the Christian life is described in Hebrews 12 as... A race. In 1 Corinthians 9, it's described as a boxing match. In Matthew 7, Jesus describes the Christian life as walking on a narrow path with dangers close at hand on both sides. And here in Ephesians 6, the Christian life is described as war. It's described as war. And we have an enemy who despises God... And despises us. And because we're in war, because we are at war, God has given us the armor of God. And so the last several weeks we've gone through the belt of truth. We're to put on the belt of truth and be girded up with truth. We've talked about the breastplate of righteousness, the very righteousness of Jesus Christ that we are clothed with, that protects our vitals from arrows and sword thrusts. We talked about the uh, putting on as shoes the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That we have peace with God now and we are through that made peacemakers in a world of conflict and evil. And then last week we heard about taking up the shield of faith. Because the enemy is shooting flaming darts and we need to be able to extinguish them. Today I want to look at another piece of armor and it's the helmet of salvation. Verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation. So for the warrior, the helmet protected their head, of course. So this is a vital, absolutely vital piece of armor. When in battle during the times Paul is writing, the soldier would have, a soldier or a warrior, when there was combat, would have two swords. One small sword, almost like a dagger, probably about 18 inches long, that they could thrust into their opponent. To kill them. And they also had a large broadsword, maybe three and a half feet long, that they would grab with both hands and take a large swing at their opponent. The helmet of salvation, or the helmet for the, the warriors, given so that his head would not be crushed or so that he could move a little bit and deflect the sword swing. So here in this passage, the helmet is described as a helmet of salvation. Some might say, what does this mean? What is the helmet of salvation? One might immediately assume that it's saying you need to get saved, right? The helmet of salvation is salvation. It's the message of salvation. You need, you need to repent and put your trust in Christ. And of course, the helmet of salvation does have to do with salvation, right? Because that's how it's described but maybe not what we would normally think. There are three aspects to salvation. There's past salvation. There is a present aspect to salvation. And there is a future aspect to salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved. Right? And in the present we are being saved as God progressively changes us and makes us more like Christ. We are being freed from sin progressively right now, which is part of salvation. And then there is the future salvation, which is to come in the future. Christ is going to return and we will be saved. I think it's this future aspect of salvation in view here when Paul tells us to take the helmet of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 shows us this. Listen to these words there's some very there's some strikingly similar words in this verse Paul says but since we belong to the day let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation so Paul has in view here I think in Ephesians 6 verse 17 this future salvation we are to put on, which we're going to talk about later, but it's this future aspect of salvation. And if you read through the New Testament, not just the New Testament, but especially the New Testament, this is no insignificant emphasis of the Christians in the early church. In fact, you can't miss it. They're always talking about salvation to come. They're always talking about Jesus coming. They're always talking about the world to come. They're always setting their sights on the future. And not just what Christ has done in the past and what God is doing in the present, but the future. Peter and Paul and James and John and Jude and the writer of Hebrews, they're always drawing us into this future-oriented perspective. This joyful expectancy of what lies before us. And again, if you've read through the New Testament, they were not walking in fields of daisies. They were oftentimes running in the forests for their lives. First Peter 1, verses 3 to 5, Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Listen to verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's a salvation that is going to be revealed And the last time in the future when Christ comes again. Paul says in Titus 2.13, he talks about waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And John in 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3 says, But we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. The helmet of salvation is confidence. It is confidence in a full, final, and total salvation to come. The reason I I use the word confidence is because we are not talking about some kind of passive hope. Like, yes, I know something in the future that's good. People tell me anyways is going to happen. No, it is this confidence in a full and complete and total salvation. It is confidence that there will be a day when our combat, when this war, when this battle is over, and we will be with Christ totally victorious with no more war, with no more battle, with no more hard days, with only bright days. Remember that the armor is given so that we can, verse 11 tells us, so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. So the armor is given, not just for us to sit and think about and say, that sounds nice and go about our day, but it's so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil, the strategies of the devil. The devil has strategies against you. His strategies... That the helmet helps us to stand against our doubt and discouragement and deception. Doubt, discouragement, and deception. Three D's, right? The strategies of the devil. The devil wants to take this large sword and crush your head with the blows of doubt. And with blows of discouragement and with blows of deception. I want to take just a a bit of time and look at each of these. Doubt. The devil wants to plant seeds of doubt in your mind as to whether or not you will actually be saved. You heard it just a moment ago when Jason was up here. And don't we all have moments or times when it feels like salvation is our salvation? As hanging by a thread. We're just, we're just not sure we're going to make it. <laughs> and I'm not saying people that don't really think about that. Or don't really care about salvation. I'm talking about those that just. That, that walk with the Lord. There are times we just think. I feel so weak. So puny. So pathetic. We have doubts that enter our minds. The reason I think many even scarcely consider the reality of our glorious future with Jesus is because they are unsure if it's for them. They're unsure if they're going to be there. They're not sure if if that promise, if that glory belongs to them. If you are unsure of that full and complete and final salvation to come. When the battle is over, this salvation that comes and the battle's over, you will not be equipped to engage in the battle today. If you don't have this confidence, this hope, hope's a word that's been hijacked, hasn't it? I hope the Bears win today. That is not the way the Bible, I don't know if they play today. I hoped that they were going to win last week. Or the week before, and they lost. Okay? That's not the way the Bible uses the word hope. If we have this confidence, this assurance, this deep abiding hope, we will be equipped to fight against the enemy now. But if we don't have that, then we are easy pickings for the devil. If we don't have this confidence, we will be full of fear and apprehension. In fact, if you are here today and you don't have this confidence, there might be someone here today who has just, just thrown the towel in. And you've just kind of given up. You just said, it's not worth fighting anymore. And you've thrown the towel in. But for Christians, you are promised total triumph in Christ. Total victory. You are promised victory to the, to the full in Jesus. But we must take up the helmet of salvation. Right? When those doubts come, what do we do? We take up the helmet of salvation to protect ourselves from the sword of doubt, from the blow of doubt. We defend ourselves with truths like this one found in John 10. You maybe have heard this verse before these verses before. Such sweet verses from Christ. This is when Jesus is saying, You know that Psalm 23 about the shepherd? That's me. And he says, I am the good shepherd. Here's what he says My sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father, we are one. I mean, is there any wiggle room in, that, in those verses? For like you being a sheep of Christ, hearing his voice and following him, and then all of a sudden him losing you, like, what happened to Joe? Oh my goodness, he got lost. No, there's no wiggle room. He will keep you. If you belong to him, you are his forever. I love what Paul says in Philippians one six. He just says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Or um, perhaps two of my favorite verses in all the Bible are the last two verses in the, the short book of Jude. Jude says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before his presence, excuse me, before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. When fears and doubts come in, we must take up the helmet of salvation. No, there are promises for me. God, he has promised that those who are his, he will not lose ever. I love John 6 where Jesus says, uh, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And of all that he gives me, I will not lose one. Not one. So when the devil comes with seeds of doubt, maybe when we sin or when we're going through hard things, then take up the shield, or excuse me, take up the helmet of salvation. The second scheme of the devil is discouragement. The devil wants to discourage us to discourage us the devil points to our failures and we have them plenty of them he wants to point to our sins he wants to point to our unresolved problems to our poor health or whatever else seems negative in our lives and we have those things things that are hard, that seem negative to us. He wants to point to those things in order to make us lose confidence in the love and care of our Heavenly Father. The devil wants to convince you that your future is bleak. When you look out on the horizon of your future, does it look bleak? Does it look dark? Then you can be assured if you believe in Christ, you can be assured that the devil has his hand in that. He wants to convince you that you've sinned away your future. You've fallen too deep in it. He, he whispers to you, you have ruined your future. Or he whispers to you, that other person has ruined your future. He convinces you that others are doing things to ruin your future. I think this kind of discouragement, I think it abounds among God's people. I I think it's rampant. I'm not saying just here. I think it's rampant, though. People look out at their future and just think, another week? Oh, my goodness. I don't know if I can make it. Another year? Like this last year? If it's like this last year, I can't do it. What do we do? We put on the helmet of salvation, right? We don't. It's good just to say, hey, listen, things are going to get better. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but we need something more solid than that. Hey, the sun's going to come out tomorrow, right? That old Annie song. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow. We need something stronger than that. There is something stronger than that. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession. He does right now. He always leads us in a triumphal procession. And not only does he lead us in triumph now, But the things that cause us discouragement, the afflictions, the difficulties, the challenges, even the sanctifying work of God, which he is working in all of these things to make us more like Christ. All of these things are preparing for us a better eternity. It's not just, hey, hold out to the end and things will get better. It's like the things you're going through now, God is keeping account of them, and he is preparing for you a better and more glorious future in light of what you endure now. That's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17 says, we do not lose heart. People that are losing heart are discouraged people. We do not lose heart, though our outer man is wasting away, our outer man, this body, Okay? Our inner man is being renewed day by day. And then he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us, preparing for us, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. If you ever want to know, how could Paul say light and momentary affliction? You know what Paul went through, right? I mean, one day in Paul's shoes. I would say that's not light momentary. No, no way. I mean, he went through, he was shipwrecked. He was out in sea, like floating in the ocean, bobbing in the ocean, like all night, twice, I think. He was beaten times without number. He was thrown in prison time and again. He was always on the run for his life. He was stoned. He was uh, whipped 39 times a number of times. Light and momentary affliction. That's what he called it though. Because his eyes were fixed on the eternal weight of glory that awaited him. Like Paul, if you have this anchoring confidence in the eternal promises of God, this eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, you will be battle ready. I mean, Paul was no wimp. He was a warrior. I need to learn from Paul. Romans 8, 35 to 37 says, Paul asks this question after a couple of prior questions. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He goes through all these things that we would say, maybe... Right? Feels like maybe they can. Maybe they're maybe maybe God is like leaving us or something when we go through these things, but he says, "No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us." So when discouragement comes, when the devil plants seeds of discouragement and he wants to magnify things that may seem discouraging in your life what do we we put on the helmet of salvation we have a an amazing and glorious future the third scheme of the devil is deception the the devil is the master of spreading deception um bad doctrine wrong thoughts Sprinkled with half-truths, of course. And these take our eyes off the glorious future that awaits us. Um, The Bible says, the New Testament says, he is like a a wolf in sheep's clothing. He can dress himself as an angel of light, so he may come like a very nice man or a beautiful woman and spread, or through them, I should say, and spread deception. Deception. The deceptive teaching I have in mind today is the kind of teaching that either teaches or insinuates that we should ex- expect and experience the fullness of salvation in this life. There are extreme and light versions. I get it. There are, there are very extreme versions, and then there are, are, are more light versions. And no doubt, God blesses his people in countless ways in this life. If we went through everyone in this room, we would not probably get done by the end of this day recounting all the real, substantial blessings God has given us in this life. Blessings of children and marriage and friendships. Blessings, financial resources, and some even substantial financial resources. Um, all kinds of things, right? Good jobs, a nice home All kinds of things God blesses us with. The concern I have is when um, the down payment of our salvation, which is salvation that we've received now, obscures the consummation of our salvation, which is what we get in the future. You understand what I'm saying? that the salvation we receive now becomes the main course and the future is just kind of like the leftovers. You like Thanksgiving, right? Do you like Thanksgiving leftovers? I love Thanksgiving leftovers. But it's not the main feast. They're just leftovers. And don't get me wrong, I'll eat them for a week. Happily. This full and future salvation, it's not leftovers. It is not the leftovers. We've been given a down payment of our salvation in this life, and it is glorious, and we should contend for all that God would give us in this life, but it should never, ever obscure this future salvation that far outweighs anything we would experience in this life. We've already seen that this is out of step with the New Testament, right? I mean, Paul says this eternal weight of glory far surpasses even the the hard sufferings in this life. Acts Acts 14.22, Paul, this is right after he'd, he'd gotten stoned. Okay, he got stoned. They threw big rocks at him, and they thought he was dead, and they walked away. And those who were with Paul also probably thought he was dead until he got up and started walking with them. Okay, right after that, he's talking to the believers in Lystra, and he says these words, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many difficulties in this life, we must enter this future glorious salvation. In Revelation 2.10, Jesus, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to the churches, and he, this is what he says to the church at Smyrna. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer, Behold the devil is about to about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life be faithful even unto death and you will receive this crown of life James says almost the same thing in James I think it's 1 verse 12 Blessed are those who remain steadfast in trials when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life. The apostles, John, Paul, Peter, James, and all the rest of the New Testament writers or New Testament believers, the idea of your best life now, they would have said, huh? Are you kidding me? I'm obviously borrowing a book title. It came out a few years ago, very popular book, sold many Copies, millions of copies to many Christians. Said, You're be- called your best life now. They would have said, Are you kidding? Best life is in the future. They said things like, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. What does it look like to take? What, is it, what does it mean to take this, this verb word? To take the helmet of salvation so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Three things. You might call this application. Three things I would encourage you with today. Number one, set your mind on your full and future salvation. Set your mind on it. Paul says in Colossians 3, since we've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things above. I don't think he's only talking about future salvation in that verse, but certainly it would be included. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So set your mind on things above, on this full and future salvation. A pregnant woman. We have some pregnant women here and we've had lots of... If you, Notice before the kids leave, there's a lot of little kids in here. So we've had lots of pregnancies here. So lots of women are going to track with this. A pregnant woman has several months of difficulty. Uh, Some more than others. They have doctor's visits and poking and prodding by doctors and nurses. They have morning sickness. Some severe morning sickness. They have exhaustion. I mean, just the exhaustion of carrying this extra weight and of this life being born in you. Um, they have fluctu- women have fluctuating emotions and then, of course, labor and recovery. But there is a future hope, right? A baby's on the way. I'm having a baby, right? Right? Are you guys with me or not? Is anyone with me here today? All right. I'm having a baby. This is great. I'm not. <laughs> I'm speaking on behalf of some women here today. This is going to be awesome. And so it makes all that you go through worth it. Romans 8, and 23 says, this is the experience of every believer who belongs to Jesus. When I read these verses, ask yourself, is this your experience? Listen to these words. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pain of childbirth until now. Childbirth. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Talking about Christians. You and I, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. He's talking about when Christ returns and we are all raised to everlasting life with brand new bodies. It's like we groan for this. We want this. Sometimes it's the things in this life that are hard that remind us this is not the end. We have something greater that we long for. And we try to put band-aids on it with toys and activities and entertainment, all of that. But there is something we long for. We groan for this. God put it in us. It is the redemption of our bodies. It is the salvation that will come in the end that will so far surpass. I mean, it is unutterable. Paul, um, you know, when he had this heavenly vision, he said he saw things he, he couldn't even speak of. So we heap on our minds and hearts the promises of God regarding this salvation. We pile it on. You cannot overdo it. Don't even try. Just keep doing it. Just keep piling on these amazing promises of our future salvation. So you can say, you'll be able to say words like this. Today was hard. This week's going to be hard. Maybe this next year is going to be hard. Maybe even I don't see an end in sight to some of the difficulties I'm facing right now. But my future is so bright. Dio Moody was famous for saying, some are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. I've never met somebody that's too heavenly minded. I know I'm not. I, back 1800s, I'm sure that he said that for a very valid reason. I, I get it. But I I read that and I'm like, oh Lord, help me be more heavenly minded. Richard Baxter, a Puritan pastor, um, 1600s, he was a young man, 30 mid-30s, and fell very sick. He was so sick that uh, he was like in this home, kind of out in a remote area, and his family was in another place i mean they couldn't be they couldn 't be near him. Doctors said he was going to die he was sick for for months, and during that time, he spent a lot of time thinking about heaven, thinking about the glories of being with the Lord, thinking about what the Bible said about this salvation, about heaven, about the future, about being freed from all the ailments here. The Lord was merciful and almost miraculously healed him. But during that time, what came out of that is probably his most famous book called The Saint's Everlasting Rest. He lived another 40 years, I think. The Saint's Everlasting Rest and some of his encouragement and instruction that I think is incredibly wise and when I read this book, maybe four or five years ago, I I started to do it. I was reminded this week, oh my goodness, I, I need to go back to that. He said for 30 minutes a day, maybe he said 60, I can't remember. Set your mind deliberately on heaven. Set your mind deliberately on the salvation that's that's ready to come. And don't just think of abstract thoughts. Get into the Bible and see what it says and fill your mind with these thoughts. It will change you. It will help you. You'll find it deeply encouraging. I think of what what, uh, Luke read just earlier, 1 Thessalonians 4. The Lord is going to come with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive when Christ comes, we will be gathered with him And we will be with the Lord forever. So set your mind on your full and future salvation. Number two, remind yourself often of God's promise to keep you safe forever. Remind yourself that this full and future salvation is not something, if you belong to Jesus, it's not something that you're going to lose. Because he's not going to lose you. Um... It's interesting, Jason shared Hebrews 7.25, that's what I have here. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, completely, without overlooking one aspect of salvation, without forgetting one detail. He is able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him? Have you drawn near to God through Christ? Have you trusted in Christ, drawn near to God through Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection? If you have, he is able to save to the uttermost completely. And if you haven't, if you're not sure, then do so today. Even right now. Don't wait till you go home. Do it right now trust in Jesus, look to Jesus, say, he is my only way, I'm going to put my trust and faith completely in him. He's able to say to the uttermost, all those that draw near because he always lives to make intercession for them. I love that that part of the verse almost as much as the first part. He lives to pray for you. When Jesus prayed for Peter before he was crucified. Um, he said, I've been praying for you. The devil's demanded to sift you like wheat, but I've, been, but I've been praying for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus, his prayers are always answered. So remind yourself of these truths Take the helmet of salvation. Number three, be intentional about making choices that show your citizenship is in heaven. If the the rubber never meets the road, so to speak, using that figurative, figurative language, our lives betray our stated hope. Our lives here on earth betray what we say our hope is in. And when we do that, we kind of fool ourselves, right? Because my hope really is in heaven, but my life is just inconsistent with that. And all of us have inconsistent lives, but sometimes massively. And when we're in that place, we are left exposed to the devil's schemes. We say the right things, but our lives betray what we say. We need the Lord's help with this because it cannot be a list of do's and don'ts. But we do need to be intentional about decisions and choices in our lives that line up with our eternal hope. There are two ditches we can fall into. Um, We can fall off either side of the road into the ditch. So let me give you an example. In Matthew 6, Jesus says these words. I I always find these words deeply challenging. And and I certainly do today. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Makes sense, right? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where those things can't happen. Moth and rust can't destroy them and thieves cannot steal what you have. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. We can veer into the ditch that says you have to sell everything and can't have any nice stuff. Okay? We can. We can veer into that ditch. We can also veer into the ditch that says this really has no practical meaning for my life at all. Whatsoever. Our future salvation, the consummation of our hope in Christ should lead us to make radical decisions showing that this is our true hope. Amen? Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, um, he's talking about the resurrection of Christ And our future resurrection, he says this if in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are the most pitiable people on the face of the earth. If we've only hoped in Jesus for the payoff in this life, we're we're the biggest fools in town. And Paul goes on to say, I mean, he talks about how he's been in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, in dangers from wild beasts, and in dangers from false brothers. He he says, I die every single day. So you can see why for him, if he only trusted in Jesus in this life, what a fool. But it's true for you and me as well. Paul lived in a manner that would be utterly foolish if there wasn't a hope beyond the payoff of this present life. And I don't want to make it sound like the, the, the beauty and glory of God's presence and of all the blessings that are ours in Christ shouldn't be enjoying this life. They certainly should be. But we have a hope that takes us beyond the life we're currently living. And like I said before, we really need the Lord's help here. Lord, show me, help me. We should just come to God humble and just say, help me Lord with this. I don't want to veer into the ditch here, but I don't want to veer in the ditch here either. So help me, God, sort through some of these things. When I read the Bible and there's a hard thing that it says, I'm like, help me not to say that doesn't have anything to do with me. What does this future hold for us? What is it like? There's a verse in Proverbs 4 I want to end with this. It's verse 18, and I've read this verse many times, but uh, maybe a week and a half ago or so, this verse, as I was reading, as I read it, just really hit me in a different way. I started thinking things in light of this that I'd never thought before. It says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The path of the righteous, the life we're living, the path we're on right now, is like the light of dawn shines brighter and brighter until the noonday sun. For the world and the devil and all who reject Christ, their sun is setting now and it's going down forever. But for the Christian whose hope is in Jesus, it's like the dawn coming up on the horizon. This morning I was up early. It wasn't that early when the sun started coming up, but at 640 or so saw the sun coming up. I was like, this is what it's like. It's like the sun coming up and we're on this path and it's rising and rising and rising until the full day until Christ comes and shines with all of his radiance and all of his glory and all of his beauty. And then when that happens, you know what it's going to be like only bright days. That's it. Only bright days. There will be no more pain of any kind. Emotional pain, physical pain. It will be gone. No more struggling to make ends meet financially. It's gone. No more emergency room visits. No more phone calls with bad news ever again. No more hard conversations, no more fighting or arguments, no more broken bones or broken hearts or broken promises ever again. No more sin, no more dark nights of soul. No more doubts, no more discouragement, no more deception, and no more death. You will live in a world of love and joy and peace and it will go on forever without end. So let me ask you a question in closing. Do you think in this vapor of a life, it's just like this, and then it's over? Even if you live to 100. Do you think in this vapor of a life, if your hope is anchored, and I mean really anchored, in such a great salvation that is waiting for us in the future, do you think it would equip you for the road ahead? for the battle that's before you, for the war that's raging at your doorstep? Oh yeah, absolutely. So take the helmet of salvation, put on as a helmet the hope of salvation that you have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this precious word. And God, I pray That we would be freed, Lord, from small thoughts about eternity. That we would have our mind fixed on this glorious, eternal, future salvation. That we would say like Paul, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And not only for me, but also for all who love his appearing. Who want him to come. They're waiting for him. They're loving the thought of him coming again. Or like 2 Thessalonians. Where when he comes. Those who have believed in him. Will marvel at his coming. They will marvel at him. It will be such a marvelous sight. Help us God more and more. To be those people. Being described in those verses. I need your help Lord. the devil with his discouraging thoughts and planted doubts and deception makes his way into my mind and heart at times. Help me and my brothers and sisters here take up the helmet of salvation to stand against his schemes. Joyfully waiting for Christ to come again. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said,